So we finally took down our Christmas tree, but the like planning gave me the opportunity to buy something that I think you would really appreciate, which is like an ornament organizer type thing. Ooh. And it's quite large, far too large right now for the number of ornaments we have, but it has space for like lights and stuff that can like go in a pocket. Oh, that's so handy. Yes, indeed. And I thought it might make sense to invest in something since I began our Christmas life together with zero ornaments. So Matt keeps buying them for me. I, because we, when we put up the tree last year, like we couldn't like go out and like get ornaments and things like that. It was like high COVID times. Um, so I just bought like a cheap pack from Target and, and then we like, we bought like a few other ornaments. So like none of our ornaments are breakable. Like the other ornaments we have are felt. So I just stuffed them all into like a bag, but your suggestion sounds very appealing. Well, here's our situation, right? Like I came from an apartment with you where you had bought like tiny cheap ornaments for the tiny tree that we used to have. Because although if you met the two of us, you would think that I would be the one who was obsessed with Christmas cheer, it is in fact the reverse. So I had like those and maybe like a little bit, but I didn't have any like personal ornaments. And he comes from you know, the kind of white family where he literally had so many personal ornaments as a child that when we went home for Christmas this year, his mother had put up a tiny tree with only his ornaments on it. Oh, that's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) I think that his grandparents used to, one in particular used to give him ornaments every year. So they have a lot. Is that a thing white people do? Uh, It would seem. Okay. I learned something new every day. But I don't know if his mom felt like his ornaments weren't nice enough to be on the real tree. Like, I don't know why they were demoted to their own tree. Oh, was it like a hidden tree? It was like upstairs by the room where we stayed. I don't, it it was actually very nice for me. Like, I really enjoyed looking through these ornaments, but I was a bit like, they don't belong on the real tree or like, they've been like priced out as by like tree gentrification. What happened? These are like shame ornaments. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, because of this, he keeps buying me ornaments, most of which are not fragile, but a few I'm like, I don't want Pikachu's ear to fall off. So, well, speaking of white families... Welcome to the first episode of 2022. I'm Alex. And I'm Kat. And this month we are here to talk to you about The Proposal, um, which we're watching to remember Betty White, although this role is not not great. Oh, it's tough. Um, So I'm not sure when I last saw this movie. I suspect it might be when we reviewed it for the blog in 2017. Oh, it's been like quite a while. Yeah, I think that's probably the last time I saw it too. I went and revisited that blog post and I actually feel like the prediction section really sums up what my takeaways from this movie still are. So I'm going to read that. Okay. We had both already seen this movie and knew that it was acceptable. We remembered that Alaska was extremely beautiful, that there was a very cute dog and that Ryan Reynolds was at some point naked. We also remembered that funny or die video of Betty White and Sandra Bullock taunting him on set. Um, And then obviously later on we went on to address many terrible things about this movie. I don't remember this Funny or Die video, and I also forgot that Ryan Reynolds was naked in the film, but I did remember that Alaska was beautiful, and I did remember the dog. The dog is so cute. The dog is the star of this film. The dog is very adorable. I don't know why we only acknowledge Ryan Reynolds' nakedness. They're both naked. 
Yeah, that's true. But this was the prediction section. So clearly, like, only one of the nudity situations, like, made an impression. Yes. So I'd like to say this movie is bad, but the actors are great. Therefore, like, sometimes the movie is good, but parts of it are awful. It's complicated. I do think it could be a better romantic comedy, though. Like, I felt like there could have been less shenanigans of, like, his family and, like, more shenanigans between the two of them. I just feel like casting is everything. There are times when I kind of have real feelings just because they're so good, but then, like, everything happening around them is a goddamn nightmare. No, it's 100% true. I think it also helps that, like, They're in this weird situation together, and they do kind of know each other well already. Well, he knows her well. (laughs) But there are times when, like, he's also predictable to her, even though she knows, like, zero trivia about him, and even seemingly after they get together, knows zero trivia about him. It's true. But, okay, let me summarize the plot. Okay. For anyone who hasn't seen this movie, which came out in 2009... Sandra Bullock is a busy businesswoman at a New York publishing company. Ryan Reynolds is her put-upon assistant of about three years. Everyone at the company is afraid of Sandra Bullock, even though, honestly, she doesn't seem that scary. But I guess this was like a pre-lean-in time. Yeah, I guess. I was like, well, she's no Miranda Priestly. Like, she seems, I don't know, brusque, but like, not like evil. Yeah, Miranda Priestly is the reference that we made in the rom-com-a-thon summary from 2017, but I just, she doesn't seem that bad. Like, she doesn't seem pleasant, but when she fires that guy, she's like, take two months to find another job and then say you resigned, which I think is nice, considering he's obviously garbage. I know, it was really generous of her, actually. Okay, anyway. Anyway, Ryan Reynolds suffers Sandra Bullock's ostensibly terrible personality because he wants to eventually get her to publish a manuscript that he likes and become an editor himself at this publishing company. Climb that ladder, blah, blah, blah. But, oh no, suddenly everyone's plans are in jeopardy because Sandra Bullock apparently is Canadian and has blown off the guidelines of immigration and is now on the verge of deportation. Yeah, a notoriously lax department. (laughs) Yeah, she, her bosses are literally like, remember when you went to that conference in Germany, even though you are not allowed to leave the country while your visa is being processed? Okay, so Sandra Bullock, confronted with this unfortunate information, comes up with the brilliant idea to be like, uh, JK, it's totally gonna be fine because my assistant and I are getting married. This is how sure she is that she can like blackmail Ryan Reynolds into this situation. Um, surprisingly, Human Resources does not immediately get involved, and instead, they go fake their way through a conversation with an immigration official who is Judge Abernathy from The Good Wife, and he is extremely onto them, but they stay the course and jet off to beautiful Sitka, Alaska to visit Ryan Reynolds' family for his grandmother Betty White's 90th birthday, which she was not originally going to let him go to. And the reason, to clarify, Ryan Reynolds is going along with this is he basically makes a deal and is like, I want to be promoted now. So he is getting something out of this extremely dangerous ruse. In Alaska, Sandra Bullock discovers that Ryan Reynolds is super rich and also that his family is lovely. Well, you're making a face. They're nice to her. <laughs> yeah, they're, 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 they're nice to her. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, 
many extremely contrived things happen. She hangs out a bunch with his mom and grandma and ex-girlfriend and like learns about his tricky relationship with his dad. At one point, they have like a naked collision in their room, which sure. And lots of typical fake dating shenanigans. Everybody starts to catch feelings after this naked collision because they're both really hot. By which I mean because Ryan Reynolds discovers that Sandra Bullock is actually a human woman and not a hell demon. And Sandra Bullock discovers what we all know in 2022, which is that Ryan Reynolds, in addition to being very handsome and hardworking, is charming and funny. They start being nice to each other. They kind of want a bone. It's weird, but not as weird as his family, who are like, hey, why don't you get married tomorrow in the barn? Wedding of dreams. Which they inexplicably agree to because of their weird immigration rules, I guess. Well, also because Betty White like is like, I would really like to see your wedding. God knows how many more years I have left. <laughs> um, so they go forward with this and Agent Abernathy is in attendance because Ryan Reynolds' dad gets a call from him and also doesn't believe that their engagement is real. So those two are like trying to persuade Ryan Reynolds to give Sandra Bullock up, which he doesn't, partly because he wants his end of this business deal, partly because of his weird feelings, and partly, I think, because of his resentment of his father. <laughs> but more on that later. Anyway, on the point of like the altar, Sandra Bullock has a change of heart, obviously, and is like, I guess I can't ruin all these people's lives with my preposterous plan and decides to willingly go back to Canada. And Ryan Reynolds is surprisingly bummed about this, goes after her, finds a nice letter that she left where she's agreed to publish the book he wanted to publish and also tells him you're going to be a great editor, blah, 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 whatever. And he's like super mad about it because this makes it much harder to hate slash maybe get over her. So Betty White helpfully fakes a heart attack to A, make dad be more supportive and B, help Ryan Reynolds like helicopter chase Sandra Bullock to the airport, but they don't quite make it. Her plane is gone. He presumably gets the next plane out or whatever, catches up to her at the publishing office where she's packing to go back to Canada and she tries to be like, no, you don't need this. And he's like, no, I really don't need this, but will you marry me so we can date the end? And then they have a real immigration interview where, as I said, Sandra Bullock continues to know not a single thing about Ryan Reynolds. I mean, to be fair, it was like a hot second in between all these things. The real fiction of this film is, frankly, how quickly they were able to get into the immigration offices to get an interview. <laughs> because let me tell you, as a person who has actually gone through this process, and I will say that I haven't rewatched this movie since actually doing it in real life. Um, that process took us like a year from like filing to the interview where my wife got her green card. So I'm just saying... Yeah, I think she like shoves her way to the front of the line or something. She does, but it's still remarkable. Or is it because she's on the point of deportation? I mean, really, it's because it's a movie, but I'm just speculating. I don't know. I was also a little bit confused about the fact that like she was so close to being deported, like had violated the terms of her visa. And for some reason, marrying Ryan Reynolds, like that was going to work. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like she was going to be deported and then they were going to process her. Like, she was... I, I had a lot of questions about, like, was she able to stay in the country, like, while this whole situation was being processed? Like, I don't know. But obviously, this is a film. Yes, heaps of privilege aside, I don't think that anyone should take professional or legal advice from this movie. <laughs> yes. 
we did do one of those mock interviews with our lawyer, even though he was like, he was like, they're not going to ask you these questions. You know, they've done so many of these, like, it's only when they really think that you're faking it that they actually bust out the questions. Um, But they do ask you things like, what side of the bed do you sleep on? Like, what are the curtains in your bedroom? Um, How many tattoos does the other person have? Like, things like that. And I do think, like, we as a real couple got some wrong. Yes. I mean, I think that's normal. When you said the tattoo thing, I just had a moment of like, well, what if someone has like a lot of tattoos? Like, you could lose count. No, it's true. Like, Alex has a lot of tattoos. I must say, obviously the scenario was very different, but in a way, this reminded me of Single All The Way in terms of one person having no family and then going to the other person's family and being like, oh, it's kind of nice to have a family and also sort of fake dating. Oh yeah, Cassandra Bullock's family is like conveniently like all perished when she was 16. (laughs) Which I gotta say, is she Harry Potter? Why is her entire family dead? Well, I guess it was just her parents because she's like, yep, both my parents died. Like, I don't have any siblings, so. I know, but she's just like, I've been on my own, like, blah, blah, blah. But I just like, much like in Harry Potter, I'm kind of like, no grandparents, no aunts or uncles, no family friends, nothing. Because that's her whole thing, right? Like, I am such a busy businesswoman because... I'm dead inside from having no relationships after my parents died. Yeah, like, I guess. Like, she has no friends, like, no one. It's just her and publishing books, I guess. Like, wouldn't you think if I had been orphaned at 16, I would be at least coming to your house for Christmas? Yeah, no, I think so. But maybe they all drowned because she can't swim, so maybe they couldn't swim. Maybe there was, like, a (laughs) terrible steamer accident. What?! Like the beginning of the Crestomancy book? Yes, it's 100% what I'm thinking of. (laughs) Wow, what a niche reference, okay. I look forward to seeing if this means anything to any of our listeners. (laughs) Okay, but on the topic of what Sandra Bullock is like, is she that terrible or is she just a busy businesswoman? Because I feel like there's only one thing that makes me truly feel like she's awful. Was it the racist remark at the immigration office? Yes, 100%, which we addressed in our Rom-Comathon blog entry, and I feel exactly the same way I did then, which is like, I don't necessarily feel, well, it's debatable, but I don't necessarily feel that the movie endorses this comment. However, it's still really bad because like, racism is not fixable by finding love. No, I mean, I think the movie is like, LOL, she's not a great person, she said this thing. Um, which she basically makes a comment to the immigration officer about like how like they can just like get this over with so that he can go back to like all the gardeners and like landscapers or whatever who are I like- think she says like gardeners and delivery boys, which is like yeah. so racist and classist and there's a lot of like weird immigrant immigration stuff in this movie yeah so she says that and you're like yikes what a comment i don't know if it's just because this was like 10 or 15 years ago and maybe then they were like everyone says this kind of thing she's just a jerk and now we're like this is symptomatic of the like deep underlying racism problem that we have in this country Yeah, no, I think that's true. Like, this movie did come out in 2009. Um, I mean, certainly marrying Ryan Reynolds is not going to help because he's also really rich. Like, after they get married, they're obviously moving into a huge apartment or, like, some kind of townhouse in New York. Like, come on. Yeah, like, his penis is not going to solve this, like, white person conditioning. No, I mean, he's not going to fuck the racism out of her. So, like... (laughs) Um... 
I have to say, as an adult, I... Not that I would do this, but like semi-relate to Ryan Reynolds' professional dilemma slash decision to agree to fake marry her. I feel like as a kid, I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, movie logic. And there's a part of me now that's like, okay, I sort of understand why he makes this choice after having put in three years. It's so much time. And the fact that he was like getting her coffees, doing late nights for her, like scheduling all her shit for so long. I mean, he, she makes an excellent point when she says like, if I leave, then like Bob takes over and Bob's gonna just fire you. And it's like, it's just wasted time. Yes, clearly he would be fine financially, but I do sort of understand the like sunk cost situation here. Yeah, for sure. How much older do you think she is than him? Well, I looked this up because when she gets to the house, his family is basically like, wow, she's practically in the grave. <laughs> like, that's the vibe. And it's like, she looks great. <sighs> um, but she's 12 years older in real life. Okay. I think the movie is probably going for like around a decade. Yeah, I like that. I've always liked that about this movie because so few rom-coms do it. Yeah, in real life, he was like 32, 33. I think he's probably playing like late 20s. Yeah, I think so. I would say like maybe 28, between 28 and 30. Yeah, like he doesn't seem 25, even though he's only been there three years. And so I would guess that she's maybe around 40. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. In terms of their power dynamic, I actually think they do an okay job because obviously it's not cool to fake marry or real date your assistant but since he sort of leverages the plan to his own advantage and is apparently like a super rich young white guy who totally has the ability to walk away like it's not stressful yeah i i do think the circumstances the movie establishes like gives us enough that i feel like he it's not like he's powerless in this situation it also helps, I think, that they spend most of the movie on his turf, like literally. His family apparently owns this town. It's a real C.K. Dexter Haven situation. Okay, but like, let's talk about the fact that they've decided that this white family owns this town in Alaska. Um, I had so many issues with this situation. I had kind of forgotten about it. I had also forgotten that Oscar Nunez from The Office was going to show up and play this like manic guy who is like not only like a local stripper, but also a caterer, but also like, I don't know, like general store manager. Yeah. Then he's the efficient at the wedding. But like the fact that they chose this guy who is not native was really weird. I was almost, but I was also like, I don't know if a native person should have been in this role. It's just so offensive on so many levels. This is one of those movies where I would have preferred there be no people of color. Oscar is definitely, well, he's certainly the largest terrible part of this film. Are you trying to decide if this is worse or Betty White's native ceremony was worse? Yes. Um, so it's basically like once you get to Alaska, it's just his white family and other white people. And then this one dude who works every single job. And when he first shows up as like a slightly weird waiter, Matt, who of course also knows him from the office, was like, huh, weird moment. And I was like, dude, just get ready. This is the least weird moment you will have with this man. 
And every time, I really, Matt had never seen this movie, and I really enjoyed his face, like, every time Oscar turned up with a new job. He's, like, the Kirk of this town. (laughs) Yes, he's absolutely the Kirk of this town, but it's really especially awkward because he's, like, also the only character of color there. There are some other people, but they don't have lines. Yeah, like, this is degrading. And, and, And I was, like, as I was watching this, I was reflecting on, like, 50 First Dates. Where I was like, another place, another film that takes place in a location that should be, like, full of, like, native, non-white people. And yet it's just, like, full of colonists. But you're also kind of, like, relieved because you're like, I don't think a native, like, actor or actress should have been, like, subjected to, like, a degrading racial role. But I also have a question about their, like semi-ownership of the town like the fact that their name is on everything and the way she says like Sandra Bullock jokes like why did you never mention that you were an Alaskan Kennedy makes it feel like the really old money but then dad is being like your mom and I basically built an empire from the ground up so I'm unclear as to whether they're old or new money it sounds like the parents like built up the town which was confusing to me because I was like, did this town suddenly spring into existence? Like, I don't know, like in the 60s, 70s, like what, like what was here? But also his grandmother is constantly saying like, this has been in the family for 150 years and stuff like that. But yeah, but that could have been true without the town being like crawling with their businesses or whatever. All right, I guess that's true. But like, what was that store called before? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So let's get to like the, ra- the 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 offensive highlight of this film, which is Betty White's native ceremony dance situation. Um, Sandra Bullock is like out for a morning bike ride and and ends up in the forest and stumbles upon Betty White, who is basically like, I <laughs> I can't even get into it. So when this happened, she like is biking and she kind of like skids to a stop. We hear the drums and Matt is like, either we've gone back in time or she's approaching a native tribe. And I was like, sadly, it's neither. While both of those would be bad, what's about to happen is in fact worse. So it's Betty White, like dancing around a fire, (laughs) chanting. In like a blanket. And a headdress. And um... This is the least of our concerns, but where is the music coming from? Oh, that's a really good point. I don't know. She's alone. Like, does she have a boombox? That's a really good point. Anyway, she pressures Sandra Bullock into joining her, which leads to like a whole dirty song and dance situation. It's just, it's terrible. But I must say that like, this is one of those scenes that's like a little easier to deal with because I think we now can all agree it's horrendous. Yeah, like bad choices all around. Um, later, you do find out that one of Betty White's characters' ancestors was native. Yeah, it's definitely like it's an Elizabeth Warren situation, but I'm still uncomfortable with it. I don't want to watch it. I just don't need it. Yeah, like because it's really, really terrible because you kind of know that everyone involved in this decision was probably not native. Yeah, no, it's bad. There's not more to say about it. Like, it's definitely the worst scene. Every single thing about it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. 100%. We'll say that all the shots of Alaska, though, look beautiful. I mean, aka the shots of Rockport, Massachusetts. It looks very charming. Um, His house looks beautiful. Love it. Yes. The actual stars of this film do a nice job, but the true stars of this film are Alaska and the dog. 
who would name a dog Kevin? Who would look at that dog and name it Kevin? I don't know. Also, I think they say that the dog comes from the pound, which we apparently brought up in our blog entry of like, who would abandon this dog? But more importantly, that's clearly a purebred dog. I know. I mean, that happens sometimes. So it's not like inconceivable, but I was like, did they happen to go on the same day this dog was abandoned? Because I do not believe that this like tiny puppy situation, like beautiful dog would have been left at the pound for like longer than like three days. Yes, I feel like this puppy was purchased for Christmas, abandoned a week later, and then picked up like the next day by Ryan Reynolds' family. I know. He is so cute. And then they were like, on the way home, they were like, I'll call you Kevin. Oh, except that actually can't be true because it's constant daylight and it's Alaska, so it's probably summer. Well, whatever. Um, I felt like the film was missing for me the film was missing like a montage scene of like her and ryan reynolds catching feelings for each other yes i actually do like some of their stuff but it does seem like they saw each other naked and now there's a weird vibe yeah like they saw each other naked they had one conversation like real conversation and then it was like okay now we're into each other which i mean like i guess that does happen in real life but there's more stuff between them. So you would think, I don't know. I just thought there was going to be like more connection between the two of them. I had kind of forgotten. And instead you kind of get just a lot of time dedicated to Oscar. Yes, I could have done with 20 fewer minutes of him and 20 more minutes of them. I think it's literally like they see each other naked. She finally like shares some genuinely personal stuff. And then like in the morning, I think he's kind of being like, oh my God, my grandmother's going to die when she finds out the truth, which like they both have moments where they're like, oh my God, everyone's going to be so upset. And you're like, it's odd that this is occurring to each of you like 30 to 80 minutes into this movie. Yeah, for her, it's less surprising because clearly she didn't consider him like a real alive person with a real live family um, until she like gets to Alaska and is like, oh, no, these are real people. But for him, it's weird. I think the like trajectory is she's like actually kind of nice to him when he's flipping out about that the next morning. And then they both have kind of like a weird moment where they realize they're like treating each other with human kindness and then like quickly separate. But otherwise, like I feel like there's a lot of like banter which is not bad but not that much emotion until basically the end like his dad is like oh I didn't realize that you actually loved her son it's like to be frank neither did he so I guess it's fine look I think we can both agree this film is no how to lose a guy in 10 days okay so it did remind me of that though because I was like wow we really get right into this situation that I was like oh right you have to because it's a weekend yeah exactly I must say, Ryan Reynolds has a whole, like, one of his terms, in addition to the business part of it, is, like, we tell my family on my terms when I want to, blah, 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 and then they get there, and immediately he does, like, this ill-timed reveal to his father, like, basically out of spite, and I was like, terrible decision, but I kind of relate. No, that feels realistic. Like, I feel like we as people do so much out of spite. Yes, he plays that so well, like... There were so many points where Ryan Reynolds like could have made a different decision but wanted to throw his choices in his father's face. And it's like, maybe when you get back to New York, you should discuss this in therapy, which it seems you can afford. Yes. I mean, both of them should really be in therapy. Clearly, Sandra Bullock needs to talk about the fact that she's formed like no real intimate relationships in like the last like, I don't know, 20 years. 
And probably the death of her parents. Yeah. I mean, you would think, though, that someone would have put her in some grief counseling. Like, she was still, like, under 18. Like, yeah, she was a minor. That's my thing is, like, where did she live? Also, I'd like them to change the name of their publishing company. What's it called? It's called Colden Books. (laughs) It just feels like a typo. (laughs) Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Was it about... Betty White or Malin Ackerman or why in movies people are constantly publicly harassing other people to make out. These are some of my miscellaneous notes. Mm-mm. It was weird that she spends this whole weekend hanging out with his ex-girlfriend. Like, why is Malin Ackerman like such a big feature of his family? Is it because he's an only child and so they like just really bonded with his childhood girlfriend? I guess. I mean, they dated all through high school and college, but I think it's very strange that she, and only she of his friends, because he clearly has other friends, seems to constantly hang out with his family. She's like basically his aunt. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, She's also a literal preschool teacher, which is such a rom-com thing. But I also think that as a character, she's totally unnecessary, except like maybe to make Sandra Bullock slightly jealous. I don't know why they just didn't make her like his sister or something. Like she would have served the exact same purpose. Like I guess they wanted a little bit of like, they wanted something of like being able to make Sandra Bullock like insecure about the situation or like. Or like feel bad about the like much better spouse in life he could have. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I feel like most of most of her character could have been accomplished by her being related to him somehow. Also Gert is an awful name. Gert is really bad. Why is her name Gert? It's like <laughs> literally the worst possible name they could have chosen for this very beautiful person. I don't know, man. All right. So what are your best and worst? Well, actually, we've covered worst. We know what both of our worst scene is. Yes, I have one more worst, which is also Oscar related. What I was kind of saying before is like definitely the Betty White thing is like objectively the worst scene but i feel like hopefully as a society we've learned enough that it's almost like when you watch a really really old movie and you're like obviously we're not okay with this 16 candle situation right (laughs) but not that this movie is in any way subtle but there's smaller things with oscar that i hate more like that bit at the end where it becomes clear that he might be an illegal immigrant yep And otherwise, I enjoyed their, like, second immigration interview quite a bit. But it's horrible because it's horrible for all of the implications and things. But I also object to it logically because he has a billion jobs. The man is not new to the country. He's had time to set up, like, four or five businesses. I think he knows the alphabet. Yeah, the the interview with him at the end is pretty offensive. It's too much. I wish he were not in this film. I know. Me too. Me too. Um, on the flip side, what was your best scene? Um, I would say for me, like maybe the second immigration interview with just Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock scenes. Um, those are pretty good. I don't mind their initial immigration interview even. I don't mind their like initial stuff where they're kind of antagonistic, like before they get to Alaska, frankly. <laughs> um, like all all that like beginning stuff is like kind of fun. Yeah. They're a good like sparring pair. 
Um, I remembered that that sort of confessions in the dark conversation was mostly cute. I think like there's only one bit where it gets like a little too much. Um, and it still was. They're like, his like confession to her at the end is okay. Yes, that's definitely like a fever pitch situation where there's like one or two lines that make me want to kill myself and then the rest of it is fine. (laughs) Oh, and I like, I like when she is having that extremely contrived situation with the dog and the eagle and the phone. Not so much the scene itself, but A, the dog is just so cute. Anytime that dog was on screen, I was just so happy to be alive. Also, I like when Ryan Reynolds comes out and she tries to explain what just happened to her. And he's like, are you drunk? <laughs> um, he seems like an extremely competent assistant, by the way. Yeah. And she even admits, like, I didn't want to promote you because I didn't want to lose you as an assistant, which I do feel is a real thing that slightly bad people do. Yeah, because it takes so long to get a person who can actually be helpful to you in life that I feel like I I was like I was like okay you know what like fair terrible but fair I liked certain things about their dynamic including that I felt like they respected each other professionally like obviously not in like the uh human decency way that you hope to be respected as an assistant but I think that like she knew that he was good at his job and he knew obviously that she was good at her job and that wedding scene which mostly I can do without like I did have some feelings about like her with his family that she's now kind of bonded with being like Andrew's always had this extraordinary work ethic Mm, yeah yeah I also must say that when I initially saw this I did not know Judge Abernathy from The Good Wife and now that's all I can see and I really enjoyed how great a time Agent Abernathy was having at this wedding I know this guy was really having having a ball what a what a tenacious man (laughs) Yes, he does not seem to have any other cases on his docket. Like, I don't know what his deal is. He's like, he's just fine to like fly up to Alaska. Like, do you think the government is like paying for this trip? I don't think so. I think he paid for his ticket out of pocket. I mean, maybe he just jumped at the opportunity to go to Alaska, which like, maybe I would too. I I would. Alaska in the summer seems lovely. Although I think I've heard that it's like full of mosquitoes. So. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, did you have any best lines? Um, there were some good lines, like some stuff that he said to her. Like, like, uh, what did he say that was really funny? There was something about her, like, snacking on children or something like that. <laughs> that was oh, pretty funny. Yes, I, I think it, I don't remember the exact thing, but it's basically the context of like, well, we're both gonna have to act like we like each other. And he was saying like, for me, that's gonna be fine. But like, for you, it's gonna require that you stop snacking on children while they dream. Yes. That was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I don't remember. There was something else he said as well. Um, I like when they're, I think, on the plane and she's like, surely you don't have the answer to all these questions about me. Like, what am I allergic to? And he says pine nuts and the full spectrum of human emotion. And then whatever, banter, banter. I like when she's like, you know, it's exciting for me to experience you like this. Because I think it's the beginning of them sort of becoming equals in this incredibly weird situation. Yeah, like he's like finally able to like snark at her. Yeah, and I also wrote down, like, these kick-ass actors really sell this terrible movie. 
I also enjoyed their interaction when, at the beginning of the film when he gets her coffee like spilled on him and she discovers <laughs> that he drinks the same coffee as her so that if something like this did happen, he could just give her his coffee. Yes, that and also I think there's another kind of similar moment where you kind of realize that like while she knows no like facts about him, she does kind of know him. Yeah. Like his overall vibe and personality. Yeah, yeah. Um, my worst line is definitely that racist thing she says at immigration. Yes, I I don't think there's any competition there. Um, in their final love confession, when he says wifeless, that really makes me cringe. I don't know <laughs> why. <laughs> And then, like, they kind of confess that they're both sort of afraid to give this a try, and that, like, kind of brings it back around. But also, and I would like to maybe go back and talk a little bit about sexism in this movie, there's, like, a whole... First of all, this conversation could have been had privately in your office, but then I guess, like, the rest of these publishing nerds couldn't have had such a great day at the office. Oh, my God. There are so many shots of, like, the randos who work at their office being, like, tearing up. And I was like, wait, like, a hot second ago, you guys would have rather seen this woman, like, tumble <laughs> from, like, the 80th floor and die. <laughs> yes. Like, as Ryan Reynolds says, I used to dream about you getting hit by a cab or poisoned. <laughs> The thing, though, is that, like, some of his presumably male co-workers, there's a lot of kind of, like, shower who's boss type of thing. Yep. There were some comments like that. Ooh. And he has that vibe, too, at times, that he does a kind of, like, I told you to stop talking. And it's like, I get it. She's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And also, like, their employee-employer dynamic. But there is a little bit of, like, a break her like a horse vibe, which I am not about. Yeah, there was kind of like a situation where it's like, oh, a powerful woman, like you have to break her down. Like, otherwise, like, how could you possibly like, how could she possibly love anyone? And that was like a yikes. Well, if you can only fix your personality with your penis dominance, everything will be fine. And also the reverse, like when she is in Alaska, and they're like telling their fake proposal story, it's clearly like, the worst thing she could say about him is that, like, he cried and, like, cut out little paper hearts. I know. I'm glad we've moved on. Like, mostly as a society, we've kind of, like, moved on from this situation. And, like, men are, I don't know, like, men are allowed to, like, at least be somewhat thoughtful and not be emasculated. But in 2009, this was apparently the worst thing you could be was, like, at all thoughtful about how you would propose to a woman. Yes, she was basically just like, it was full of doilies or whatever. And you're just like, okay, this is fine. Um, otherwise, like, I think he's mostly okay. Like, he makes a joke about being a feminist, but I think it's definitely a joke. And then his family, I feel like it definitely has some, like, gender role stuff. But what can you do about their family? <laughs> I did get a little sad when Betty White was like, grandparents love to give you stuff. Like, it makes us feel like we'll still be a part of your lives even after we're gone, since now she's actually dead. Yeah. I don't feel like we need to get into people of color. I, for one, am just going to pretend this whole movie was white because honestly, <laughs> for the best. Well, all the people of color we saw in New York were fine. No, that's true. Um, What would you score this movie? Um... It's hard to say because like I feel like I like like 60% of this movie a lot and then I profoundly hate like 30% of it. 
I always think this movie is better than it actually is. Like, I watch it and I'm like, oh, no, this isn't good. But, like, when I'm thinking about the proposal, I'm like, yeah, the proposal is fine. I think that I actually remember it fairly accurately, which is that I like the actual rom-com and then I dislike all of the additional comedy that they've inexplicably included. It's also just super contrived, like, seven different times. But Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's a rom-com. What are you going to do? I would say I would give this, like, a five or a six. Yes. I think based on the fact that I was like, maybe I enjoy 60% of this movie, maybe a six. It looks like in our uh, more detailed analysis, we gave it a five and a half. So I could go with a five and a half. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. I would say five and a half out of 10 white dogs named Kevin. <laughs> Five and a half out of ten Oscars for Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock for getting through some of these scenes. Five and a half out of ten literal Oscars, since there were so many Oscars. Oh, yeah. Yes. And with Can that... I? Oh, no. You have one more thing. Oh, I was just going to say one thing about Ryan Reynolds being so rich that this movie has like somehow left a permanent impression on me with is that little interaction they have where he says, I'm not rich. My parents are rich. And she says, that's something only rich people say. That is very true. I think I think about that like two to six times a month. (laughs) So if nothing else, the proposal has left me with that. Well, a lasting impression. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for our first movie of 2022. We're excited to kick off the year. Um, Let us know on social media if you have any other suggestions for what we should be watching this year. Um, Because literally every month we're like, so what should we watch? Yeah, we don't do a great job of planning ahead. I mean, sometimes we do, but like mostly we're like, what are we going to watch now? So let us know if you have any um, suggestions, any films you want us to see, any films we haven't done yet. Follow us on our social media and we'll talk to you guys next month. Everybody stay safe. Thank you to Hannah Oatman, who composed our theme music, and Alexandra Oatman, who painted our logo art. You can follow Alexandra on Twitter at at Alexandra. Special thanks to Quincy Surasmith for advising us on the art of the podcast. Subscribe to his wonderful podcast, Asian Americana, at wherever you get your podcasts. Want more Romcomathon? You can read past reviews at romcomathon2016.tumblr.com and follow us at romcomathon2016 on Facebook and Twitter and romcomathon on Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Please subscribe and rate Romcomathon on iTunes. Thank you.